favorite things fish and beer fish and beer and i think we have actually a really awesome um fish segment for this show i really liked your idea for the show yeah um so i think we were we, we were having a little we were having a little rick and morty season three issue uh for those of you who don't watch rick and morty uh it took a little long time to get season three out there was a lot of uh quote-unquote fighting going on behind the scenes between uh dan Harmon. And I forget the guy, the other guy's name. I only remember Dan's name. Uh, the two creators. Um, basically, what was happening was they were overthinking things, and they were trying a little too hard, and it was causing delay in the content they were creating. And we've had, what is it, two or three failed episodes we've tried at this point? Between yeah. seven and eight. And um, It's hard making a podcast, guys. Yeah, it's rough. Um, so we've kind of decided to like go back and go into this episode with um, a more loose uh, structure so we're not overthinking things. So I kind of went through uh, Addicted to Fish, which is a group on Facebook. It's great. It's over 20,000 fans. uh, um, And kind of pulled some interesting questions from there that you and I are going to answer over the the fish side of this episode. Fantastic. So are these um, like questions of the day or just like random fans post them? No, to see what, how many hits they get. Yeah, this is actually really interesting. So people just post random shit throughout the day. They're just like, hey, sure, what does sure. everybody think about this? What does everybody think about that? Okay. Um, I think uh, one of the interesting things, um, the other day someone was posting about you know trading tapes, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Of. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, people just kind of put what's on their mind. Yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, why don't you uh, start us off with our... Cool. Our so you, we pulled some questions from... Addicted to Fish, the Facebook group. Right. And they're really cool. We're going to kind of go through them. Yeah. Uh, the first one that I have on my list here is, how often do you listen to your first show? That's a good question. That is a good question. Because I always wonder uh, how many other people do. I listen to my first show often. Yeah. Yes. Um, Recently, my phone uh, <laughs> hits max capacity for memory. And every single downloaded song I had on Fish OD was erased, and it was like oh, it was like three years worth of like catering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. your styles, yeah. yeah. So the, like I was just like, up. Oh, I was at a super loss, and I was like, I don't know what I should do. 
So the first thing I did was I was like, up oh, back to the beginning. And I downloaded my first show. Oh, I don't listen to my first show very often. Um, I Why is that? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if there's a, a specific reason for that. Um, I think uh, there are just other shows that kind of stick in my brain of all the ones that I've been to. And I just kind of uh, flock to them first. Um, we were just on a trip. And I don't want to get too into that because we're going to talk about it in the beer segment. But um, on the way back, uh, we listened to my first show. Uh, and it was the first time I've gone back in probably over a year, year and a half, I want to say, before I've listened to it last. And it was interesting, um, and it was cool, and I, I get why some people would be really into that. It's kind of like what um, helped to spark your interest, but it took me like three or four shows to get into Fish. So my first show wasn't particularly like mind-blowing. There are moments in it that are... Um, they did a double tweezer reprise because they forgot to play it at Hershey Park. Yeah, that's with, pretty with, epic. Yeah, but that so, was your first. Show. But you didn't know what was happening, right? And you I didn't, didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and I didn't know what um, I didn't know what tweezer reprise was. So like, I didn't appreciate it. So I got it twice, and people were like, "Oh my god!" Like, you're at that show. That's insane. And I was like, "Uh, that's cool." <laughs> so do you, so then hold you know hold the measurement wherever you need to hold it for yourself. Do you go back and listen to that fourth show then often? Do you go yes. back and listen to the show that? got you really into liking fish often i think that's the question yeah so the show where i finally became hooked and i knew i was going to continue to see fish was a uh, bethel woods in 2011 um that show i i always go back when i want to like really rock out and i'm really needing some fish music in my life which is pretty much every day um i'd say I go back to it like every other day so you listen to fish every day pretty much yeah right so do i yeah, um, I, I'm wondering I, if that's usual. <laughs> well, I know um, one of the other questions that we we can move into um, is whether or not people listen to fish before a show. So this came. Yeah, you love this question. Yeah, yeah, because this came up um, on the Facebook page because people are talking Watkins Glen and you know parking in a lot, and a lot of it is just tailgating before a show. So the question was, you know, would you listen to fish before? Does it spoil it for you? Um, I would rather listen to Fish Before a Show than hear people blasting Grateful Dead. Uh, I hate Grateful Dead. <laughs> so I'd rather that. Um, and I don't have any pr particular feeling about it. I don't think it ruins a show for me. It gets me pretty pumped. Um, it also sparks really interesting conversation with your uh, car camp mates because you'll, you know, your ear will perk up to something. You'll be like, oh, what's that? You know, Other people kind of gravitate to their own shows for their own reasons. So I think it sparks really interesting um storytelling and the sharing of experiences so I'm right right so you're talking about it in a festival setting but i mean right. obviously pre-gaming before any show people's groups get together friends meet up right and yeah i mean i think if you're that into fish you're gonna want to talk about it because you're gonna be super excited about going to see the show yeah and it, I, I think it helps to kind of you know get me ready what's about to happen exactly um some people hate that though some people are like i like to go in open-minded and the fact that people are listening to fish before the show um really good friend of ours uh she hates listening to fish before the show but she, you know it's not more of the music for her it's the experience so she'd rather not uh over listen before it happens that's a uh, j3po's wife um uh -huh. so she rather she's like can we not like we're already gonna listen to it at the show so i mean i understand that side of the the spectrum for sure but i mean i don't i wouldn't say that um you know she's she's as into the music as we are so to each their own yeah it gets me amped 
I like listening to Fish before a show. And I listen to Fish every day, so I feel like that's coming from an extreme bias. I will say I get to points where I feel fish fatigued and I have to listen to other things. Um, I I can't say that like you know every single day I'm listening to fish, but it's most days for sure. Yeah, um, and it's it's without issue. Like I can just jump around. Um, one of the beautiful things about Fish OD that I like is that you can just pick a random show and it'll just pop you right into a random year. Um, they will. So. They also have the on this day right element of that app, which I really like. That's why I listen to it a lot. You have a lot of um, formats pulled up on your your computer right now. Yeah. Can you just talk about some of those websites? Because the only way I listen to fish is on my phone on Fish OD. So, so I have no idea where you are right now. Yeah. So fish. And I know it sounds really stupid, naive, but I don't ever go on my computer. I mean, the two major ones I would say from that most most fish heads listen to are uh, fishtracks.com. Right, right, right. Fishtracks.com and Fish OD are essentially the same thing. Um, the database on Fish OD is way more thorough. There's some stuff missing from fish tracks. Cool. And then there's fish.in. Um, okay. Like fishing. Ah, <laughs> uh, got um, it. And that has pretty like everything. That's cool. every live performance ever. Um, I generally use uh, fish tracks. I don't know why. That's just like some people use Google to search things. Some people use Yahoo for some reason. Some right, people right. People use Bing. Like the, I don't sure. think there's really any. Me, uh, the, <laughs> the only difference is that fish tracks is for sure. Like when you go to 2017, it's missing New Year's run, and I haven't huh. seen it posted up there in a bit. Interesting. So, um. Every once in a while, I'll have to, I, I think just the, the layout is a lot simpler for me. Fish Tracks is just like, you know, green text on blue. It just lays out the years and pulls it up. Yeah, cover. it looks pretty basic, like yeah. DOS style. Yeah, and Fish In is like, you know, a whole white page. The dot is a donut, which is Yeah, there's, a little, cool. there's a little <laughs> bit more artistry there. It looks yeah. like a nicely composed website. Yeah. yeah, it looks more like a player. And again, it's it's definitely more thorough. Um, you can create playlists. They have like the top 40 songs. Very cool. So it's, it's more programmed than the Fish Tracks. It's just music word um but yeah i mean another i just want to throw it out there another reason um i think it's important to like start looking at these songs this way is uh we are uh got a jabru's building a database a song database um basically we're going ahead and, and listing all 290 originals i think it's actually a 295 um and from that database we're gonna keep building it out to covers and and jam charts and all this stuff a lot of it's just coming from fish.net um that's where i'm pulling most of the info to build this uh database and the goal is is that it would also not only help this podcast but help fans who are trying to to dive in kind of you know start setting some auto filters and things that they can do to see uh one of the shows i want to do in the future is we want to do a show about songs that are not recorded on an album on a studio album oh yeah and what we started discovering as we started working on this database is that there's a lot of songs so it's hopefully going to help uh, those newer fish fans like us start navigating the waters, so to speak, and, and really help because it's a massive ocean of stuff out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. There's I over, that's really cool. yeah, there's like 1,860 shows at this point. It's a lot. Bonkers. Yeah. Plus all the studio albums. I mean, it's, it's, if you're looking at it from someone who's just getting into the fish scene, it's paradox of choice. There's too much stuff. I know we talk about this all the time, but if you were trying to show somebody a fish song for the first time, what song would it be? <laughs> um, I want to say it would be Sample in a Jar. Yeah, you and always that's, say that. That's, uh, yeah, a lot of people, I think, 
can understand that song. I think it has elements of fish to it. I think it's got the complexity. I also th- just think it's super easy listening. And I think a large part of getting someone into fish and where people go wrong in trying to get them in is that they're like, oh, what kind of bands do you like? Let me just like try to find something that's similar or interesting because you really want them to enjoy the music. And I think it just needs to be almost like a step back. I think we've talked about in the past that, you know, before I was listening to blues and jazz and all that stuff, I was a straight, you know, I'm in New York City, straight Z100, like pop music, radio station. Like I, my taste in music was terrible. So if you're going to try to show me something like a You Enjoy Myself or a Fluffhead or a Petrichor now, even at this point. Um, yeah, those are those are far too advanced. Yeah. It's, Mine would be Chalk Dust Torture. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think that has more like rockin' elements and kind of gives you a little bit more of a hint of their kind of jammy style. Yeah. Sample in a Jar was my first fish song. It's the first fish song I ever heard. And I Googled it on the internet because I was told it was the most quote unquote like tolerable song hmm. in terms of fish. So I think it is not very jammy and it is not very composed. It's pretty basic and pretty singable. Yeah, I would argue you could go on to Fishnet and go to the jam charts and find some awesome versions of it. But yeah, pretty much it's a standard. But I think some people need that first. Yeah. I think it's hard. It's of course. No, no, I'm not arguing that. No, yeah. I think it's just difficult when people are getting into fish for the first time. A lot of people want stuff to listen to. A big part of it for me when I started going to my first couple of fish shows is I hated how I was standing in this sea of people. And it's awesome that everybody's bobbing to the beat at the same time. But everybody knows the lyrics and I don't. And everybody knows the music cues and I don't. Um I'm thinking I of mean, like they're pretty theme. basic, though. Yeah, but like... Theme. They're repetitive and like... You get you catch on pretty quick. So your first show, you knew theme from the bottom was going to have a light component? Bing! Yeah, you no. knew that was going to happen? Absolutely not. But everybody else did. Everybody else was freaking out. I was like, I don't know why I'm not like pivy to this. Like, So again, it's just... In a way to include someone and start like firing them off into the deep rabbit hole that is fish, I think starting with some simple... Um, easier to swallow songs that you know you can show them studio album versions i think that's just how most people get into a band and get into music but again personal preference i don't know let's move on to another question let's uh we ha- have we we haven't talked about curveball yet Mm-mm. so no. Watkins glenn curveball has officially been announced yep. for the third weekend of august Yep, yep. So there's another cool question uh, here. How many festivals do you have under your belt? Ooh. This is where you and I feel bad because I feel like we're such babies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the answers that started firing off to this question are like eight. I think there's 13 in total so far, I including Curveball. I believe it's, yeah, I think it's 12, 13. Yeah, somewhere around 11. There. <laughs> um, so when I say three, <laughs> which is for me is Superball, Magnaball, and now what will be Curveball? Um, I feel like in, I don't, again, when you've said it in the past, like you hate telling people how many fish shows you've been to. I hate telling people how many festivals. I've been I to. actually don't anymore because I'm pretty like fish savvy. Like obviously I've only been listening to them since 2014, but again, like I do a lot of research and reading. So like when I'm able to like kind of hold my own with somebody and then they ask me like how long I've been into fish, I'm like, dude, only since July 4th, 2014. They're like, Oh wow. They're like surprised that I know as much as, as, much you know. as I do for being such a young see i'm the opposite (laughs) i still don't know words to songs and people laugh and i'll tell you a funny story um and this isn't even related to fish believe it or not uh i think a lot of people obviously are flow over dead fans 
and um, I'm at the Halloween show in Atlantic City where they covered themselves. They played the Fuego album in its entirety, and I'm standing in line to get into the venue, and this older lady in front of us is wearing this shirt, and to me, I'm looking at this shirt, and I'm going, what is this woman? She's like clearly like in her late 40s, early 50s, and she's wearing a Shaka shirt, like a, like a Shocker symbol, and you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little inebriated at this point. And I turned to her and I was like, what's up with that? Like, your kids don't get mad at you for wearing that shirt? She's like, why would they get mad at me? They love this shirt. And I was like, but why? Like, that's kind of vulgar and dirty. She's like, this is a Jerry Garcia shirt. And I'm like, who's that? And I've never watched someone get so, like at a fish show especially, get so angry at me. How dare you? How do you not know who this guy is? Like, who are you? And like <laughs> J3PO I'm at the show with had to be like, oh, settle down. He's not into the dead at all. He doesn't even know who, you know, the members of the band are or anything. I didn't know that Jerry Garcia lost his, you know, ring finger in a, in a school woodworking accident or however the hell he did it. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, there's expectations even from fans that, I don't, I mean, I don't get that. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> never, I've never, no, 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 I mean, I don't, I've never, I mean, people, yeah, automatically have that, like, assumption of ba- other bands that I like because I like fish, and it's typically very far off. I have a very eclectic music taste, and I like a lot of random shit, um, and I don't like the dead. I don't like a lot of bands that sound like fish. I don't, so, I don't know, I, I don't get that, though. People don't come up to me and, like, automatically start asking me about, like, ah, I mean, I guess that's true. My friends from, uh, Georgia are like, oh, you going to see Dead and Co. Like, I guess, I guess I do get that a little bit, but yeah, I just I, I, don't, know, I don't like Dead and Co. Uh, I I love reading on the um on the fish groups when people start making fun of John Mayer playing with them, and it's just like <laughs> you know, everybody's just like, just let Trey play, like just let Trey go on tour, and then the immediate response to that is like, leave Trey alone. He's got enough side projects. We want him to focus on fish. Like, correct. <laughs> so let John Mayer. And hopefully, maybe he'll stop making shitty pop music and he'll start making some jammy music because he's been playing with Dead and Co. Probably not, but I don't think so, man. You're just trying to. Hope. You, I think you hope that because you're a closet John Mayer fan. Yeah, I mean, Oops. I listened to <laughs> I listened to him a lot in high school. Right. Uh, this is as my ears shifting over from uh pop music only to like blues and and jazz and he just did continuum and it was you know really awesome he made blues cool it's like when michael buble came out and he made shit, uh, frank sinatra cool again um so i did have a little spot i remember one of the first arguments my college roommate and i ever had he had a, the rolling stone cover they announced the three best guitar players of the year this is in like 2006 2007 um and it was Derek trucks uh trey anastasio and john mayer Oh man! Three best living guitar players. Nice. And um, him and I would have arguments. He was like, "No, it's Trey," and I was like, "No, dude, John Mayer. I mean, this guy is insane." And we would go back and forth. And now, looking back at that argument, I feel stupid. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people raging uh, as they're listening to this. Even considering the fact that I would consider John Mayer to be better than Trey, I don't now. <laughs> Definitely don't. Um, I mean, he's a very good guitarist, though. Yeah, but when you watch the shows of, of Trey playing with Dead and Company, and then you watch John Mayer, it's like night and day. It's so sure, easy. Sure, sure. I mean, I yeah, I wouldn't compare those. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <I mean>. just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, it's an easy way to look at it. I mean, you got to remember right. that Trey is an incredible, incredible musician, and he's very passionate about it. So when he started playing with uh, Dead & Co., he studied Jerry Garcia, and he started yeah. learning the scales that he you know tends to fall into and the licks that he chooses to play. And, and that's very uh, recognizable when you look at those shows. Uh, John Mayer's kind of just hanging out and doing his thing, and it's like uh, J3PO will say, you know, he's stealing Stevie Ray Vaughan licks, and he's kind of just doing a blues thing with the with the band that needs a guitar player so 
it is what it is. I'm sure there are people who love it. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> impose my opinion on anybody. Do you <laughs> count how many shows you've been to? Uh, this is a good question. I do like this question. Um, my response to that when I saw it on the group was to say, once you pass 100, what's the point? Um, I don't think. I I can't even believe I counted that far. I did count up to my first 100 shows. I've now lost track. I don't know anymore. I have stopped making a record of it. Yeah, I'll um, never I'll never re- remember all of mine. I'm in the 40s right now. Yeah, I mean, but I won't continue to count. There and again, there were people on there who was like, "I've been to 467 shows," and it depends on what you classify as a show, and that obviously sparks off a whole nother like is a festival Saturday one show or two because you get the extra set during the day. So you start to start another conversation and then most of the rest of the group response is like, God, who needs to count? Who cares? We love the music. Like why even, why be pretentious about it? I, yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. For sure. A lot of people do count their shows though. How many, I mean, we've been in New York city at a, like a pizza shop and like some guy has overheard us talking about fish and immediately goes, Oh, I've been to like 90 shows, but you know, I stopped going recently. They were all in like the nineties and stuff. And you and I got pissed. We're sitting there trying to like wait and eat our like awesome fresh pizza that just come out of the, the you know the wood oven, and we're just like, dude, no, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah, about yeah. your your nineties history. Like, I, yeah. you went to the Great Went and it cool. I didn't I didn't even know about them at this point, so yeah. I don't even know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I don't know. That's like people trying to flex their fish muscles. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Would you do that if you were if you'd been to like four hundred shows? I'd probably think I knew like a thing or two about fish if I'd been to four hundred shows. I again think it's just an excuse for people to say what I'm saying is more right than what you're saying because I know better because I've been to more. So I think honestly, I'm at the mindset at this point that if you've been to more than four or five fish shows, you shouldn't care. That means you've got the bug. That means you love them as a band. That means you love the live experience. You're going to keep going. Yeah, for sure. So fuck numbers. I'm over it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think one of the reasons why is because we're new fans. So the only way that we can hold weight with these vets is to say, yeah, you know, I've only been listening to them since 2010, but I've been to 100 plus shows. But that's why <laughs> counting shows doesn't matter because you've been to so many goddamn shows. Yeah. Since 2010. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I got the bug. It, clearly. it depends how hard you hit it after you're in. Right. I've been, I, again, I've only I've only been into them since 2014. I've been to 40 something shows. Like after you really start to like them, you kind of are just like, I want to go to any show from them that I can that I can go to. Yeah, that's always kind of where your mind's at, and it's always worth it. So I mean, when they announced summer tour, you and I kind of you know did our thing. We looked at the shows and we were like, what shows can we go to? Camden's on the list. Camden's, you know, in Central Jersey over by Philly. We're super close. Uh, Merriweather Post, we have tickets for. So it's like we basically immediately go, okay, you know. And when I first started getting into fish in 2010, anytime they were playing in the tri-state area, I had a car at the time. I was like, I can just jump in my car and, you know, go to a show. For sure. Um, now it's just like, uh, I, what were the, the RV, the Glen Close Passes are like $1,000 a piece. Yeah. So it's like, you know, do I, would I rather go glamping or would I rather go see fish? And they, my response is always like, I, you know, I'm not old enough yet. I get why, you know, the older vet fans are just like, I just want to be able to sleep after every show and relax and just see them. So the glamping makes sense. There's people who are all over posting around the internet for hotels that are close by. That I like camping. I feel like if you don't like camping, it makes sense to 
get something as close to non-camping as you can. I, mean, I enjoy camping. I it's part of the whole like festival scene for me. I enjoy that part of it. Yeah, but a fish a f- fish festival camping is a little di- like when you go to a campsite you have access to like at least hopefully a bathroom and a shower and whatever you have that it, oh there's porta potties at watkins Glen. yeah porta potties and, and a shower and truck. a big yeah and like yeah. a big no not a truck there's like big like bathrooms like big stalls yeah like there are those two there's both i mean it yeah. depends if you're near um the houses that have the showers or not but some people don't want to do that I, I know people who specifically are like, I refuse to go hang out with a bunch of stinky hippies and, you know, do <laughs> not shower and have to worry about bringing all my food for three days. Like, there are some people who just want to go see the music. <laughs> there's food there. <laughs> there's, there's, that's, uh, dude, Magnaval was great. Yeah. There was a farmer's market there. They had people who came from, like, the local surrounding towns to sell stuff at a farmer's market. They impromptuly set up there. They had coffee in the mornings. They had, like, places where you could buy merch. There were, like, uh, beer tents with, like, breweries that just made stuff exclusively for fish. It was fun. Yeah, man. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I thought it was a blast. But I, I also understand why some people are just like, yeah, just, I just want to see the show. Um, but, yeah, why don't you hit Did me Did we with, uh, meet somebody who said that they knew somebody who was doing the installation for Curveball? Uh... Or no? no? Did I make that up? No, I think you're... I'm so excited to see what treated. the art installation is going to be. I'm tripping. Yeah. <laughs> Tripping on donuts. Is it going to be curves? A lot of curves going on? I don't know. I also love people's reaction to when we tell them that we've been to 13, the Baker's Dozen, all 13. Because most people did not go to all 13. Yeah. I mean, people think we were crazy. I mean, even as it was happening, we I mean, three weeks, we went to see I Fish felt for crazy. Yeah, yeah, I had to block out my entire August. Yeah. I had to block out a month of my life. I had to call out of work every like other <laughs> Wednesday because I was so like ripped from the tuesday wednesday shows like it was or thursday i don't remember i just remember being a marathon and by the end of it just being like god to say that i did that is incredible but yes god like my body is sore (laughs) don't need to go to a live show for a bit best lights this is this is one i'm sure that literally there's going to be like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of comments yeah we should have such specific uh people that i know who are like dude i don't get fish i don't get why you're into them get even more pissed off when you start talking about the lights chris Corona. Corona, yeah because <laughs> people are just like oh my god you're already talking about this band forever all the time and now you're talking about the lights for the band and i'm just like dude you don't get it it's like you know it's a part of it it's the whole thing um you and I both did some form of theater tech in high school and college. I think we have kind of an affinity and appreciation for that stuff. Um, people often refer yeah, but, to... I mean, yeah, I mean, I would... Ag- yes, I agree with what you just said, but I mean, it's not hard for me just as a fan of music to go to see a band and think that the lighting that is happening at a fish show is nuts. It is now. I mean, that new lighting rig that moves... I mean, can you like that's insane? I I remember seeing uh, videos of them with the circles. The, sh- the yeah yeah the tarps and then the, in the last air, yep. last year the year before when they did ago. the wraps they had all those wraps and LEDs that everybody hated they yep. unanimously hated so they had to yep. pivot really hard and this this past tour's lights were the best yeah. the up and down Geppetto y puppety type moving lights yeah because when you again coming from that theatrical standpoint you're kind of your rig is dependent on your theater and what shape of the theater is like if it's a curved theater your lights are curved to go with the architecture of the structure so now that the 
the fact that Kuroda can do whatever he wants. He has these on tilt. He has them straight up. He can make a curve. Um, it, it, it's insane. And then, you know, we've been a little spoiled. The, the last, what is that, four, uh, 13, 16 shows we've seen is all has has all been at MSG and he redesigned MSG. He put the the spaceship in the middle around the the big jumbotron screen and stuff. So um we've been a little spoiled. There's some sick sick freaking pictures floating around the internet of, you know, Fish Angle or Fish Islands is showing the entire like shape of MSG with the spaceship going off in the middle yeah. and yeah. it's hard to look at those photos and not go holy fucking shit, how did this dude do this thing? Like Yeah it's you can't mention fish without mentioning chris Kuroda. it's just impossible i so I, your favorite point oh lights is now now for sure this is <laughs> unlike anything that i think i think people are going to start copying him i think you're going to start seeing other bands going on tour and they're going to copy that rig yeah um i wouldn't doubt that so he's setting a standard for lighting that's insane I mean, artists have specifically, I don't know, you know, I'm sure most people know this by now at this point, Justin Bieber is a huge fish fan. He hired Chris Carota for his tour. Yes. So it's like, you know, you, it's getting to the point now where he's being requested to do these shows because, you know, it's, it's, he's mastered lights and he started off with fish a long time ago with, and they still had park hands. So he's evolved with them the same way that they have through their own music, through lighting. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm. Going hard on Kuroto, but you have to. He's the fifth member of the band. I firmly believe that. I stand by it. Screw oh anybody God. who doesn't look at the lights. <laughs> I don't think anybody doesn't look at the lights. Okay, well, I want to just say that um, I'm really excited for Curveball. I'm really excited um, for what's to come. Um, I'm excited for this beer segment coming up. After our short 15-minute break, we are going to be talking about why we didn't go to Vermont. That's right. We were supposed to go there, and we said, nay, we're going to Portland, Maine. So we're going to come back. We've got uh, two beers to try that we brought back from there, um, and we're going to, you know, talk beer. We'll be back in 15 minutes. Short 15-minute break.
listeners, welcome back to Gotta Brew with me, the Lizza. And I am the kid. And we're going to start talking about beer. Beer. Switching gears over to beer. Gears to beer. I like it. Gears to beer. All right. So at the end of the last episode, we were getting everybody hyped for our trip to Vermont. I don't know about getting people hyped. I think we were just talking about where we we, we were going to go. I was getting myself hyped. Where we hyped. were going to go. I won't speak for others. Then how about that? I was getting hyped. <laughs> um, yeah. We had this grand idea. Um, we we were going out for my birthday. Let's, let's be real about it. And I wanted to go snowboarding. And Vermont is, you know, creme de la creme of the East Coast for, for some awesome uh, shredding. And... As my birthday kept getting closer and closer and we were getting ready to leave, the temperature just kept rising and rising. I was pretty much hovering at like 40 degrees. I wasn't so confident in the snow, so we were just like, fuck it. Let's go to Portland, Maine. I Um, love Portland, Maine. I've had a love affair with Portland, Maine since like 2010. Yeah, same. I've been going up there for a while. Mine's not, my affair's not that old. Uh, Mine's what, I think 20... 15 uh, just sure, about yeah, like three years sure. yeah sure. 2014 yeah, sure, sure, sure. um but yeah it's 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 if you give me a open plane ticket uh domestic i'm going to maine for sure portland is such a lovely city um it's got a lot of culture up there i know i think people think it's kind of like dolesville but there's a lot going on up there uh not to mention uh, you know the many things but beer is uh, exploding there right now yeah so it's a great city to go up and visit. You know, if, even if you're not into beer, uh, the food scene up there is second to none. There's a Michelin guy there. Of, yeah, a lot of Michelin star chefs up there, yep. uh, farm to table. Really, really good stuff. They have access to obviously really fresh produce, really fresh seafood. It's just a great place. Yeah. It's, it's just an amazing place to kind of get away from the city. Um, I think what really pushed us to go is that the last time we were up there, which was right around Christmas, um, we got shut out of a lot of beer that we were trying to try. Um, and right. So this trip, we, it was actually cool. I mean, like I said, I've been going up there since 2010. So there are the breweries you kind of always hit and the larger breweries that have been established for a while. I mean, Allagash is probably the biggest commercial one up there, shipyard, a lot of kind of the bigger boys have always been up there. Um, but you know, the last couple of years, yeah, the last couple of months even seems like there are little tiny pocket breweries and nano breweries popping up all over the place. So we tried to go to a couple this time that we've never been to. Yeah. Um, um, so we did get cans from uh, our friends Battery Steel and Good Fire. Yes. And Battery Steel just happened to have a can release on the Saturday we were there. Yeah. And um, so did Austin Street. We didn't get any cans from there. Um, and Good Fire, yeah, had just released cans that Saturday as well, which we hit up later in the afternoon. Um, I think, especially having talked about my pet project, Game Hinge Brewing Company, um, I, th- I think the more we got closer to, uh, you know, our vacation weekend, the more we were just like, let's go eat some really awesome food and also drink beer. And that's the one thing that we should mention. Uh, Vermont and Burlington specifically, you know, it's a college town. A lot of what you're doing up there and a lot of what you're, a lot of what you're doing up there and a lot of like what it's all about is is just catering to the college students. So a lot of pizza, a lot of burgers. My favorite is uh, Rira, the Irish uh, chain 
that's like everywhere in New England. Um, there's like two reruns in Burlington. Um, so it's just more college friendly than it is. Portland's more of like, oh, um, this is where people go to kind of uh, to make it in food. Uh, as you were saying, a lot of farm to table, but it's like people really care. Like even down to the French fries. If you're ever up there, duck fat, really awesome um, uh, French fries and awesome tomato soup. Um, they they do everything right. Um, sure. So let's talk about battery steel. Yeah. Battery. That's where I tried to lead you in <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Let's talk about battery steel. What beers did they have available in Cannes when we were there Saturday? Battery steel is pretty much known for their New England style IPAs. So right. one of the ones we brought back is Flume. Flume is with Mosaic and Citra Hops, I believe. Correct. Um, then we were able to get, uh, I have a can right here if you give me a second, Kino. Kino is a triple dry hopped IPA. Yes. Um, we uh, were also able to get, there's one more. Um, on-site. on-site. Yeah, on-site was its first release. They're not releasing it again until April, like late April. And it's part of their experimental IPA series. And this is the second one. Right. So, I mean, they're uh, clearly, they're they're really hitting that New England IPA thing. And um, People want their stuff, man. We got there at, what, 11.30, a half hour before they opened, and uh, there was a line. Oh, yeah. Around, around the, the building. Around the building, yeah. Um, and <laughs> we pretty much got there when the brewer got there, and we were lucky enough that we were where we were in line. We actually had to, like, talk someone into letting us skip them in line to get another beer. Because <laughs> at that point, the line was about 45 minutes to an hour long, and we had just finished drinking Flume. We wanted to try another one of the... He had a uh, kettle sour on, on tap, and <laughs> I basically went up to the guy, second in line, I was just like, do you mind if I just buy a beer in front of you just because I don't want to deal with it? He's like, yeah, don't don't even worry about it. Um, so they're super popular. Um, it's just the two young. dudes who run it. Even Even this time, that one other guy that was there I didn't see last time we were there. It's one guy who brews and kind of works the tap room and kind of does everything himself. Yeah. Yeah, so they're super small, um, but obviously kind of exploding right now. And we've gotten locked out of beer for them before. We've gone up there, um, and there's a sign posted on the door that's like, no beer. We get there on like a Saturday. They're like, no beer till next Friday. Um, so th- they're at a point now where they can't keep beer in their tap room, which is awesome for them that means you know they're really hitting it out of the park Um, for sure good fire was my other favorite new one yeah so good fire they're only about four or five months old yes uh they are on the back side of lone pine which is also a small but up-and-coming brewery there and we got there at probably what like three o'clock in the afternoon and this place was packed there's not a single place to sit down we had to wait to get our seats um they were down to their last couple cases of the cans that they had by three o'clock. They had just released them that day. Uh, so waves was one of them. And then, uh, prime prime is the other one. Yeah. That's the IPA we liked better prime. Yeah. And uh, what I love about these guys is that their, their packaging is amazingly simple and beautiful. The beer, the liquid inside the can is phenomenal. We, we both tried all three beers they had to offer and there wasn't one that, you know, we couldn't appreciate. It was insane. Um, yeah, and they were actually brewing when we were there. Yeah. So we were basically just sitting there watching them transfer beer to a fermenter, which was awesome. One of the staff members was kind enough to talk to us about it, and he was like, yeah, I mean, we're at a point now where we're just getting the capacity. We're having to brew, like, every single day. Um, I think they only had about five fermenters, so, I mean, those things must be constantly just pumping out beer. 
Um, yeah, and they did it a lager actually too, though. They had a lager yeah. and two IPAs, which is very interesting. Yeah. Lager was really decent. Yeah, I don't like lagers, so I, I divert to you on that one. <laughs> Speaking of lagers, uh, Bissell Brothers had a Pilsner, right? They, had they a released in cans. They had a and it was sold and out in like what, literally a minute, one minute. Yeah, that guy put the sold out sign up there. Yeah, the cans are great. They're beautiful. They're really yeah. nice. I mean, um, definitely yeah. props to Bissell and Peter Bissell for having you know. And Noah, don't forget Noah. He's the guy who makes the beer. Well, Noah makes <laughs> the beer. I'm saying more like kudos to Bissell Brothers for like being more than a brewery now and kind of being like a marketing machine. Yeah, like those cans were gorgeous, and I'm sure some of the reason why people were buying that Pilsner is because of the cans. So the day we went to Bissell, they actually were also releasing a Lux, which is their rye, um, their rye amber. Is it an amber or is it a rye pale? Uh, sure. Rye pale or rye IPA. Yeah. Their can is great. It's beautiful. Um, and it's like it 80s style day glow fade. What's really funny to me is that um, there's a guy in front of us. We we obviously jump over to the we just want beer here line and got out of the cans line. And the guy before us is trying to get... Um, there was another way they were releasing another double IPA. And they didn't have enough or whatever and he immediately just swapped over to Lux and just got a case of Lux. Lux. So even their their consumers, the people who are buying their beer don't really care what's in the can. <laughs> they just want Bissell and they just want it in their fridge. So yeah. it's it's pretty interesting to see the loyalty to their brand that they've built. Um it's insane. Um just looking up just so I want to I want to be, you know, as right as possible. Uh Actually, I can't even see this on there. Doesn't even say what it is. So scratch that. I was gonna try to to give you some some knowledge, but I'm pretty sure it's a rye pill. I think it's a rye. Rye pill or rye IPA, you know. Happy beer made with rye. I remember the first time you ever tried that beer and you were super into it. Uh my yeah. problem with rye as a as a ingredient and uh it's it's really hard to use well. It's very strong, very smoky flavors that come out of it. It dries everything out. It's it's really hard to use it right. And I've had a lot of rye beer that I don't like. And this is one that I can tolerate. I still don't like it. If Lux is like the only thing at a restaurant that's on draft, I probably won't get it. I'll, you know, go somewhere else, but it's not to say that it's not very well uh balanced. Um we also, I guess you could theme up this whole trip to being we had a lot of exposure to rye we went to a couple of distilleries as well they were using some you know rye in their whiskey there was just a lot yeah. of <laughs> a lot of rye afoot um and it kind of inspired me as a home brewer coming back and i was just like i've, I've watched so many people do this right uh, why not me um so i think the next beer that i'm gonna make i haven't decided what yet um i don't really want to do a pale ale so i was thinking a, a rye amber Something that's like a little sweeter on the on the grain bill. Yeah, to balance so, out that spiciness. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm not brewing this f- for anybody but me, so I'm trying to, to get the rye to fit into my palate. So sure. I, I need I need to really offset those flavors. Um, rye has like a, um, I wouldn't say smoky, I would say like spicy and then like anise I hate rye bread. I like rye beer because I like super dry beer. And most of the time, it's used with sort of you know, the appropriate amount so that doesn't taste like rye. Right. It just lends itself to kind of drying out the final end of the beer. Um, when you say anise. Anise, like licorice. Like yeah. black licorice. Explains why I don't like it. 
It's a good word. It's, it's powerful. It's, good, it's yeah. a very powerful flavor, and it's very detectable. You know, when you smell or taste rye, you know exactly that's what it is. Right. So again, it's about kind of balancing out that weird spicy anise flavor. When you start looking at the research and you look at, you know, everybody now is talking about when you build your grain bill, you do it in percentages of the entire batch. Uh, The percentage for rye is always super low. It's always way under 10%. Yeah, like for a home brewer, it can be like a handful that you throw in. It's like a five-gallon batch. That's what I'm saying. The the amounts are very limited. It's like using a spice when you're cooking. You want to be very light with it. Yeah. But uh, some more to come on that. I'm I'm still uh, diving into the research on it. Um, the the goal is to make it as subtle as possible. I'm thinking of like back in the day when I made a um, <laughs> one of your favorites, a uh, a coffee cream ale, um, and I had to figure out a way to use the coffee just because I I don't like coffee, don't drink it, um, to to s- subtly add it, and it's it's hard because it's another ingredient that is super strong and super loud. So, um, I always, how did you end up using the coffee for that coffee cream ale? Um, I ended up, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. A lot of commercial breweries do cold brew and add it, um, either at fermentation or at flame out. Um, we I were just, yeah, we were just at Allagash. That's what she said they did with James Bean, right? Right. James Bean, um, cold brew. uh, yeah, they did a sanitary cold brew and they added it in the fermenter. In the um, fermenter. Very common. You want all that smell. It's like dry hopping, same same strategy. It um, is, and 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 one of our friends up there was saying that it's actually the type, the varietal of coffee that you pick, right? And they tested a ton before they, you know, uh, d- agreed on this Ethiopian blend because it was light and fruity and citrusy. Yeah, um, I thought you dry hopped with the beans. Is that not what you did? I did. So oh, I, okay. I, t- I took a bunch of the whole beans instead of grinding them into a powder. You know, actually doing a brew or anything like that. I just took the whole beans. I think I took about. I was like maybe an ounce, very little bit, very little bit. Put it in a muslin bag and basically steeped it um, for a certain amount of time. I think I did it for about a day, um, and it was super in subtle. In primary? Yeah. Got it. And I yanked it out. Um, it was super, super subtle. I really enjoyed it. Um, the taste the, the taste wasn't so much there. It was a, sh- a lot of smell. For aromatics, yeah. Um, and that's all I wanted. You know, I don't, as someone who doesn't have the palate for coffee, that's, um, I think when you start mixing it with the, the, the smell that the yeast gives off and especially some hops, you get some really interesting, uh, aromatics that kind of pull through. I feel like, um, the, the coffee roasters that I used were tandem coffee, which is also uh, based in Portland, Maine. Um, when they do their packaging on the backside, they obviously tell you it's you know Ethiopian Yorgachev or you know whatever the the style of coffee is, but then they start listing um, flavors that you're supposed to experience, and it's funny to me because if you don't like coffee, all you taste is this bitter, chalky coffee taste. So they'll say things like blueberry or cranberries or citrus or whatever, and I'm like I don't taste any of that shit. I just taste coffee. So I can now say, having used their coffee in that way, I now appreciate those descriptors because when you start mixing them with hops and you know the 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 yeast smells and stuff like that, that you start pulling those flavors out. And you just start smelling them. So something to keep in mind if you're gonna start messing around with a uh, coffee or with rye or you know just be mindful. You should do a rye blonde, huh. but like a honey blonde, like you're saying, to balance out the rye. I've never heard of rye being used with such a light, quote unquote, style of beer. It's always something like darker or Kolsch. like IPA or like, yeah, it's just like something that's, I don't know. 
I, I I'm literally thinking of it as like SRM. It's always something that's a darker style of beer. Sure. Um, I think that's just because of rye in general too. Same with coffee. Like if you add coffee to a beer, it jumps your SRM way up. Right. Um, but yeah. Sweet. Should we drink some of this beer? Yeah, let's do that. Let's crack one open. Can we try the Kino? Sure. So we've had the Prime. We had that at Good Fire when we were visiting the brewery. Awesome facility. Um, and then we've had Flume several times from Battery Steel. This time we got it in cans, four-pack cans, but last time we were up there, he had growler fills of it. So we grabbed some of that. Awesome double IPA with mosaic and citra. And this Kino, this is the first time I've ever seen him try a triple IPA. No, it's a triple dry hopped IPA. Triple dry hop. Basically, you're coming, you're swinging hard when you say something's triple dry hopped. You're saying this should reek as soon as you open this. This should can. burn my nostrils. When right, I pop it. right. You're, it's you're really setting up expectation. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Yeah, it doesn't smell. You know, triple triple dry hop doesn't smell as much as I would think. How would you, how would you describe that, uh, Cicerone? There's a really funny podcast, and the the brewer from Carton's whole thing is like, "What do you mean when you say dry hopped?" So if you were going to make a triple dry hopped IPA, how would you do that? What would you do? Uh, probably first day that it goes into secondary, um, dry hop it once, uh, midway through, um. So, in the case of the rice uh, ale I just made, it'd probably be like day six, day eight, and then day 12. Like, right before I'm about ready to put it in a keg. Do you consider the beer you just made double or triple hopped? Double. I hopped it right when it went into secondary, and then I hopped it again two days later. That's double double dry hopped. This is very clear. Yeah. Very clear for them. I mean, flume is, looks like orange juice. So this this is you know it looks like a standard like Pilsner, I would say, which is it's really light, incredible. I find with beers that are double or triple dry hopped, you end up getting so much aromatics and it's so strong that you end up um, like when you taste it, it's like meh. Yeah, you overload <laughs> someone's nose so much with this aroma that the the actual bitterness is dumbed down a lot. And it, I feel the same way. It pisses people off. People smell it's that. It's a tease. It's like yeah. a cock tease of a beer. <laughs> You're like, whoa, this is going to be so hoppy. It smells so hoppy. And then basically what it just does is sets up your taste buds and what you're expecting to taste and disappointing you greatly. What's that beer? Um, it's got like raging, raging IBUs. Um, uh man. J3PO uh, made a beer similar to it once. It's got like 120 something IBUs. It's like triple hopped. The, the Pliny the Elder? No, no, no. Um, I don't know. I'll have to ask him and we'll come back to it. What do you uh, think later. of this beer? Um, I think exactly what we're talking about. I think it smells. I, it actually doesn't smell as much for something that I think would be triple hopped. I agree. Um, this beer is delightful. It's very nice. But in terms of like what I was set up to expect, uh, everything is much more subtle and much more tame, much more yeah, let me, sort of relaxed. What I'm actually interested in, let me pull it up on Untapped real quick. Um, generally, Untapped is pretty good at breaking down like what's in it. And um, I would imagine that the, the hops that are being used... 
um, our little it, this guy loves Citra Mosaic. I, 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 it's hard place to find a beer that he's not really using it in. I wouldn't so, argue with that. I, those are two of my favorite hops. I, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's a good idea, but um, I there it doesn't seem like this beer Kino is using those hops. So maybe that's why the the, the hop selection that was used to, to triple dry hop it or is just different than what we're ex- used to expecting. Exactly. Um, Have you heard of that trend that that woman in line was talking to us about? When we were standing in line at Battery Steel, we kind of met this woman and her mother who were awesome. They had this like cute little dog. And she was saying that her husband was mentioning articles that he'd been reading about. There's this trend going on now for IPAs. If you're boring them out of a bottle or a can, not to pour down your glass in a 45 degree angle, but to like very aggressively just turn it upside down and pour it straight into the glass so that you get a ton of foam and a ton of aromatics. I had not heard that before, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool thing to think about. Sounds like you're incredibly patient to wait to drink your beer because that shit's going to foam like crazy. And you're going to <laughs> well, when she said that's what, that's where my, my mind immediately went. I was like, why would I want to lose like half my beer to foam or like, you know, but it makes sense. I mean, that's why when you have um, Belgian glassware, they have that little, uh, it's any shape you want. In a cute little delirium snifter, it's like a little elephant. It's like etched at the very bottom of the glass and the carbonation bubbles get caught on it. And basically they just rise from that etching. Consistently, right. Yeah. And and it pops up aromatics in the center of your glass the entire time you're drinking the beer. I get it, but again, I don't know. Like, if the goal is just to taste it, like if I if I were to go to a beer festival and they're pouring me two ounce pours all the time, I could see doing that because then your full eight ounce glass is going to get full of foam, and then at the bottom is the two ounces of beer that you're actually trying to drink. Right. Um. I I I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think I have the patience to pour beer that way, and I don't think that it's really gonna enhance the smell that much more than pouring it at the fort. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's like with the brewing stuff that I say, you know, is it worth it? I don't think it's worth it. Um, Do you have stats on Kino? No, Untapped is like kind of brand new on, uh, with Kino. And what's my favorite thing about Untapped? Untapped reminds me of that episode of South Park where they're all Yelpers and they're all giving reviews to restaurants and stuff. Um, and it's just really, really, funny to me that you know the one, one guy is here sitting here saying that this beer tastes like pineapple and it's super clean and like super whatever and it's like a i don't get pineapple on this beer at all personally b clean and crisp for a triple hopped ipa that doesn't sound like they should really go together as descriptors so i i giggle at some of these responses sometimes because like dude do you even know what you're drinking or you're just excited to share with the world that you actually had it probably the the latter and and that's what i feel like untapped is really for it's like look what i'm drinking that you're not oh look you made a little discovery i discovered something cool so underneath Battery you steals? were asking about wanting to know what hops were in Kino. Yeah. And I always check the bottom of a can because I know this beer is super fucking fresh. 3, 5, 18, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. This beer is eight days old. Right. Nuts. Yeah. He has listed what hops he used in this beer. Victoria's Secret. Is it Victoria's Secret? Victoria. Vic's Secret. <laughs> Not Victoria's Secret. This It's Vic's Secret. Waimea and Mataka? Matuka? Manteca. Matuka? I really don't want to say that. Reference. <laughs> now, Matuka. One of the, so two of those 
two of those that you mentioned. Waimea is very tropical. Yes, and and, that's and I do get pineapple from this. You do. I okay, do. I, don't, Un- I don't. Untapped guy, at Untapped. I don't know who you are, but I agree with that. Smell this can. Close get, your eyes and smell this can. I Just close your eyes and smell it. It smells like canned pineapple. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Fuck. All right, I'm sorry, guy on Untapped. <laughs> guy on Untapped. I don't know. We agree. I don't ever whiff beer as long as you do. I feel like that's why you pull a lot of notes out of stuff that I just don't. I kind of just give it a quick quick little... No, no, no. So what they teach you in Cicerone is you take the glass, right, and you tilt the beer so it's very close to your nose, extremely close to your nose. Like and then you do, And then you do dog hounds, a greyhound or dog hound sniffs. You go quick, like three quick, like a couple in a row, really, really quick. Okay. You don't just once, and then you swirl it around. And you do that again. You do it like three or four times. Okay. And usually the beer gets better smelling the longer you let it sit out. So it really shouldn't be ice cold. It should be like you know pretty cool, but like you know warm yeah. enough to smell the hops. I notice you do that a lot when it's an IPA or something that's supposed to be super aromatic. Like I always wondered why, especially when I first started drinking with you, that you some beer you just let get room temperature. I was like, don't you want to drink it cold? And you're like, no, I want to smell this thing. Yeah, most um, of the time I don't want to drink a beer super cold. This, though, I will say this beer does isn't... I want this beer to be more hoppy. If huh. this beer is being sold to me as a triple IPA, I want this beer to a be more hoppy. A triple dry hopped, but yeah. Triple dry hopped IPA, yes. You're right. I keep saying the wrong thing. But triple um, dry hopped, that makes me want to like... I think Hetty Topper. I think like, you know, I pop the can open and it smells like someone just, uh, you know, took lupulin powder and shoved it up my nose. Are all three of these hops aromatic hops? Two of them are. I thought they were bittering hops. One of them is for sure. The Vic Secret is not. An, I mean, well, Vic I'm, Secret is in Bissell Brothers Reciprocal. Huh. So is Ella. Ella. Ella is a very tropical smelling pungent. Hop. I do like Waimea. I don't. You you use Mateka. What the? How do you say this? I say Mateka because <laughs> fish. it's not Mateka. <laughs> Matuka. Mataku. God, I'm sorry to anyone that I'm offending out there. But I don't know what that is. I haven't tried that that often. Vic's Secret, I know it tastes like. I mean, I don't know. This beer's good as far as the... uh, I only have a couple of other beers to compare to, but I like Flume way better than this. Um, I know one thing I want to touch on before we leave the episode about Maine is that it's really interesting to look at their market. And the, the way I'm looking at the market is that... Everybody up there right now is making New England style IPAs. Austin Street has one. Foundations has one. Bissell has like three of them. This Battery Steel has two of them. Goodfire has two of them. Lone Pine has like four of them. It's definitely the style that is raging through uh, all of New England, Vermont, including you know Massachusetts has so much going on. What I appreciate most, and this is why Allagash will, for the rest of time, be my favorite brewing company ever and i know i talk about bissell a lot but bissell is really my number two to allagash is because they are able to stick to what they make and i think my favorite story with you ever is i was perusing the instagrams and i was like damn man these people monkish monkish monkfish monkish 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 are like blowing up on instagram and they're from california and they're actually making some Hazy IPAs. How did I not know about these guys? Da, 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 da. And I come to you and I'm like, have you heard about these guys, Monkish? Like these IPAs they're making. And you're like, <laughs> you remember what you told me? <laughs> yeah, so I don't follow Monkish that closely. And again, I don't really, I'm not like super embedded in like beer politics and kind of like what people think about 
breweries in terms of selling out or making certain styles or whatever people can if you have a brewery you are free to make whatever you want that's the beauty of being a brewer and owning a brewery um but monkish originally came out as a belgian inspired brewery right and they said right out the gate and they were very adamant and kind of in your face about it they would never make an ipa ever Right. So they did like, you know, styles that have largely been, you know, nominalized and, and marginalized. They were doing, you know, like triples, quads, like they were doing a lot of cool Belgian stuff that really nobody was doing outside of Belgium. Um, and I, I don't know who it is. I want to say other half just because that's where my mind goes. But they did a collaboration with uh, an East Coast brewery and it was an IPA and they kind of never went back. Yeah. Now they're exploding and it's just because they finally decided to kind of quote unquote sell out and give in and give people IPAs what they want. Right. And the reason I bring this up is because we were at Allagash, um, I believe is on Sunday. And lo and behold, on their uh, on their list of in brewery only beer you only can get there at the brewery is a dry hopped triple. So it's Allagash's triple. Fantastic. That was dry hopped. Um, Still an amazing awesome belgian triple it was in you know and same as we drank it a couple episodes when i was drinking it for the first time since i started drinking beer but it had this awesome hop smell to it and it really complemented what was going on with you know the belgian finish of that beer and they aren't able to even do something as subtle as dry hopping uh a belgian style and nail it out of the park that beer was so flipping good i think you and i i mean out of the flights that we got we drank it first it was gone in like a second and then we went back for more um there's something to be said and there's something incredibly respectable about them because they refuse to bend to the market. They're in a sea of New England style hazy single and double IPAs and they're like, fuck it. We're still going to make the best Belgian beer you've ever had. And every beer we had there was solid. You were drinking. I I don't watch you drink Belgian beer that often and you destroyed your flight. Like. It's, it's there's something to be said. I tip my hat to them a thousand times. I, I Rob Todd. I would love to have him at the podcast at some point. He's super into fish as well. Um, that's my white whale for this podcast right now. Um, my hat goes off to that guy because he could have he could have done anything. He was one of the first people up there making beer. He kind of you know is the reason why you know the rising tide raises all ships. Like he is the reason why all these breweries are popping off. For sure. When you go up there, Industrial Way is right down the street. A lot, you know, Bissell was right there. Maine Beer Co. was right there. All these um, now bigger players in the industry owe their popularity to the fact that they could walk down the street from Allagash and try this stuff. And never once have I seen them. I think the closest, didn't they, they Allagash did do a beer that was hoppy, but it was still, you have the, the bottle. Himalone. Himalone is like one of the only hoppy beers that Allagash does. And I'm not really sure of the style. I think it is in the vein of like blending something hoppy with a triple or something a, like that. It was a hoppy it's still Belgian very, but it's still a very ale, Belgian style. Yeah, I think it was a hoppy Belgian pale ale. I think um, you like Allagash, and I think I like Allagash, and I think a lot of people like Allagash because they uh, brew with such expertise that they make me appreciate and even like styles of beer that I don't like to drink. I don't like triples, and I could have drank that dry hop triple all day at the brewery. Yeah, I don't like Scotch ales. Love that Scotch ale that we tried. I had their James Bean. Yeah, you it's don't like coffee. coffee. <laughs> yeah, like everything they do. I just want more and more. More of it. Give it to me, please. Allagash, send us beer. Actually, we'll just come up to you. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> they approach brewing in a very similar way that a chef approaches making uh, a dish. 
everything is just has its purpose and nothing is too overdone and everything is just very well balanced and they yield the exact flavors they're looking for. Like I don't think like you were saying New England style IPAs aren't too terribly hard to make. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? They're not mind bends. Like you can't, you would not be able to figure out how to brew that. Brewing like a really awesome sour beer that's like three years old, you know, a blend of three year old sour beers or a really, really beautiful triple or even the most, you know, basic and clean Belgian white. Those things I think take a lot of skill. Yeah. I, uh, the, and everything about what they do is on point. I've never, again, never had a bad beer from them. They ever. also let every single person who works at that company uh, submit recipes for beers that they want to see made, which is really cool. Yeah. And then anyone at the company, if their recipe gets picked, they get to work with the, um, the brewing brewer. team, yeah. the brewing team, yeah, yeah, and develop their recipe, which is so cool, man. They really... Um, they they are basically rewarding creativity. I was just going to say, yeah, exactly. And they're pushing themselves within a box. Because, like, you know, Belgian beer, when you think about what you drink from a Belgian brewing company, is, like, very specific. There's, like, four or five different styles, really, and that's it. And they've really just blown the lid off of that. But Belgians are infamous and notoriously known for being people who will brew beer with anything. Right. And any, like any, any, any ingredient, right. any ingredient. Right. I think they brew with like pineapple. I think they brew with cactus. I think they brew with weird stuff, you know, compared to very traditionalists like the Germans who have the Rheinheisgebot and who think there are only four ingredients that belong in beer. Right. So Belgians have been experimenting since the, you know, the dawn of beer being created in Belgium. So it is very cool that you tack on to something Belgian, like you're saying, that has very specific and clean-cut styles, but they experiment with a lot of uh, ingredients. Yeah. Which Alagash does. Well, uh, this episode has been great. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm glad we finally got this one right. <laughs> sure. I think... I, think, uh, I could I, continue talking for longer, but... Yeah. I mean, I think we've we've hit the stride. We found our we found our sweet spot again. Um, I do want to quickly shout out that um, the the fish database that I was talking about earlier, um, we're going to make that live. Uh, you got to go to our Instagram at Gata Jabru. Uh, it, the link will be in our bio as soon as I finish it. I've got about a hundred more songs to go. <laughs> Hopefully sometime this week. Uh, again, you can find us on Facebook at Gata Jabru. Uh, our email is gatajabru at gmail.com. Uh, shout us out. We're actually really close to um, having feedback on our episodes. You're pretty soon just going to be able to, to you know, give us your two cents uh, episode by episode. So really looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to take us out, see if you can uh, call it from the get. I'll close my eyes. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of God of Jabril. We'll see you next time. I'm Melissa. And I am the kid. See you next time.
Wake up.